0: Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org. Welcome David to the front. I'm just going to read today's passage, Psalm 95. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today... Please welcome David as he comes to speak to us. Thanks, Vano. Morning, South
1: Service. How are you doing? Great to be here. Great for Philip and I to be here together. And we've managed to organise things this week so we don't have to rush away, or I don't have to rush away when I finish preaching. So looking forward to spending the whole morning with you. So really pleased about that. Happy New Year to you as well. Hope you had a good break over Christmas. Uh, Just in the run-up to Christmas, our three adult children, 22, 22, and 24, said to us, "Uh, "Mum and Dad, any chance we could have the house for New Year's Eve? (laughs) And we said, "Uh, what exactly do you, I mean, we could be upstairs, or? They said, no, 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 don't come back till 3 a.m. at the earliest. So, because we love our children, and more importantly in this context, we trust our children, we said, well, this is a great opportunity for us to go away. So, we went away for two or three days. We left our children with the house. I can report it's both still standing. And we saw our first ever photographs of our son actually with the Hoover. So, it does—it was miraculous in all sorts of wonderful ways. And we had two or three days away. And during the, on, just before we went away, I started thinking, I wonder... Is there anything particular we should do? It's New Year, it's that time of year where you think about how 2017 was, what you want out of 2018. And I started flicking back through the 2017 diary and I was surprised, really pleasantly surprised to see just how many things there were to be grateful for. And actually, in the end, I decided I would write Philippa a letter just recounting, reminding her of all the things that we were to be grateful for from the last year. And I gave that to her at the beginning of a meal on our first evening away, and we spent the whole evening actually thinking back over 2017. It was a rich and wonderful thing to do. Uh, Of course, the next day, our minds turned to 2018. What do we want out of 2018? And no doubt Everyone's minds will have turned to this at some point. Some of you only fleetingly, others of you maybe with a certain degree of seriousness. You've really thought about this over the last uh, few weeks. Either way, my appeal is this. My appeal is that whatever your plans, your hopes, your dreams, your aspirations for 2018, at the bottom of it all, may it be a life of worship. And one of our hopes, one of my prayers for Christchurch London all of our services across the city is that we would grow in our worship of God this year. For after all, that is why you and I have been made. We've been made to be worshippers and actually we come most alive. We become ourselves most fully, the people, the person that God created you to be. You become most fully as you orientate your whole life towards worship. So these next few weeks We are doing a series on worship and having done, uh, Joe having given us a bit of an overview last week, these next four weeks we are going to focus particularly on the time of worship that we have as we gather together. Worship of course is much broader than that, it's about every moment of every day but there is something particularly important about what we've just done and what we'll get to do more of in a few minutes. And if you like, at the start of this year, I hope that this series will sort of supercharge us as a church. Will get us focused, will remind us of its importance. So that we can really give ourselves to the worship of God during 2018. Here are five reasons why I think this series is so important and why our worship together really, really matters. Number one, and maybe most self-evidently, because God is Worth it. What a surprise. We worship because he is worth it and because that is what we're made to do. Here's how the psalm uh, that Vanna just read us opens up. Come, let us sing, to the, sing with, for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud. So it's a call. Come on. Worship. Why? Well, it gives us the answer in the second half, to the rock of our salvation. In other words, the psalmist is saying, if your life is a bit like a desert at the moment, then he is the one who pours living water into our lives. Goes on in verse 3, gives another reason. The Lord is a great God, the great King above all gods. Life is littered with little gods. And actually, the ultimate persuasion that we can find ourselves thinking is that actually, I'm God. Or you're God, I read over Christmas. Uh, one of the things I love doing on holidays, reading books. I picked up a biography of Napoleon because I didn't know too much about him. And one of the things that I was struck by in reading his story over Christmas time was that he comes on the back of the French Revolution. The French Revolution seeks to kill God. It starts the cult of reason in Notre Dame. And then when Napoleon becomes emperor, he crowns himself... The Pope is in the room as God's representative but it's not that anyone else does. Napoleon picks up his own crown and puts it on his head. It's like the ultimate expression of I have become the most important one. I have become small g God. And of course many of us know the story of how the empire under Napoleon exploded and then collapsed. And he ended life having been almost worshipped by the French people and many in the empire, he ended life in utter disgrace. And that is what happens when we persuade ourselves that we are God rather than him. We worship because he is God and we are not. But secondly, worship supercharges our hearts. It supercharges our hearts so that we're able to live lives of worship the rest of the time. If you want to change part of your life, the experts say the most effective way to do it is immersion. If you want to pick up a new skill, if you want to learn a new technique, go away for two or three days, leave everything else aside, and just focus on that. Don't just do sort of, you know, an extra hour on a Thursday evening. Get away, focus, immerse yourself. Well, worship, whilst we do not... I guess worship on a Sunday is we do. We come away from everything else just for a short while. And when we worship and we give our minds to it and we focus, we immerse ourselves in the love of God and all the truths about God. It's just for a short while. But I don't know about you, it makes a huge difference for me. This Sunday and last Sunday, being in corporate worship together, has been a wonderful thing for me. Having had a couple of weeks where we didn't meet, And it supercharges and focuses our hearts. Any relationship, you know a relationship's in trouble if you start hearing, oh, we never get to spend any time together. I don't know about you, I tend to think, well, if that's the case, you do that for too long, you'll you'll get to the point where you find you have nothing in common. We all know relationships need time. We all know relationships actually need expressions of love. Whether it's just a look or a touch or a word. We all know too that when we express our love, we we feel our love more. It's just the same with worship. When we praise, it connects us, and when we adore, we grow in our feeling of adoration. Don't need me to remind you the hundreds and hundreds of advertising messages that you get shot at every day. Whether you go on Google, whether you drive down the street, or whether you're sitting in the cinema all sorts of things with very clever techniques, people with masters and PhDs who've worked out exactly how to appeal to you, are calling for your hearts. And consequently, this time really, really matters as a result. We worship because he's worth it. We worship because our hearts need it. And of course, we worship because in the end, if you do not worship God, we worship something else. The question is not, do you worship? It is, what do you worship? I'm going to read a very famous quote. I don't, we've read it a number of times here. David Foster Wallace, not a Christian. Sadly, tragically died early, but a remarkable author and speaker. And he said this, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshipping. Everybody worships. The only choice, he said, is, to, is what we worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing God is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they're where you trap, tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. He had a way with words. Worship power, and you will feel weak and afraid, and you'll need ever more power over others to keep that fear at bay. Worship your intellect being seen as smart and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on. It's not do you worship, but what do you worship? We're given many wonderful things in life. I have family and friends who I love. I have a job that gives me great joy. We have resources with which we can do things, but any moment those things become the thing that I worship rather than a gift, then to use David Foster Wallace's words, they can eat us alive. We worship to stay alive as a result. Reason number four why worship, why these times are so important, we're going to get to worship again shortly. Worship saves us from the struggle of either thinking too much of ourselves. ...or too little of ourselves. And we all struggle with one or the other. Some of us have a low self-image. Others of us verge towards... ...it's alright, I'm here. I've got it all. Pride. Worship dissembles both of those. When I come to worship, I remember I'm broken, frail, failed. But i also reminded that I am loved by the creator of the universe... There's no place for pride because of my failings but there's no place for low self-image because of his acceptance and his love. And so both ways round it sets me free as a result. And worship is where we experience the presence of God. Whole of last year we said the theme for Christ Church London presence of God. This year our theme is going to be the presence of God. Now, worship precedes very, very often in the scriptures the presence of God. Moses went up a mountain because he laid aside time, he gave himself, God came. Solomon dedicated a temple, the Spirit of God came. In Corinthians, we're told that the early church set aside the first day of the week. They came to worship and they experienced the presence of God. And when we do that, when we give time like that, we see his greatness more clearly. Isaiah is in the temple in worship and he has this vision of God. If you want to see God's greatness, give yourself in worship. We hear his voice. We hear his promptings. We, don't, we won't get time to look at the second half of this psalm at all. But basically the first half is worship. And then the second half starts, if you hear his voice today, don't harden your heart. In other words, when you worship, he's likely to speak. And when he speaks, stay worshipping. Decide to do what he says. Our problems are often dealt with in worship. This is hinted at in this psalm. Twice it it talks about the depths of the earth and the sea. And in psalms and Old Testament literature, they're often seen as the place where evil or dark powers dwell. But they're contrasted with the greatness and the height and the exaltation of God. God is exalted to the depths of the earth. In other words, God is great despite your most fearsome problems and when we worship and give ourselves often God appears as God appears bigger so our problems appear smaller and shape into uh, the distance or become smaller as a result and we often find that we're changed as a result so south service I appeal to you as I will appeal to all the Christchurch London services this week and next week May you, in 2018, give yourself in worship. May you give yourself in worship. You will be richer in all the best ways. You will be wealthier. You will create more of a community. You will honour him. And he actually will lift you up as a result. If you decide this is what matters more than anything else. So what are the different ways in which in the Bible we can worship? And Liam was very kind to me. He said David, he said you might be interested. There's seven different Hebrew verbs for worship. And the more I thought about these, the more they gave a beautiful structure to the second half of my talk. So I give credit to Liam for this. Um, but uh, here's seven different ways we can understand worship many of them reflect the use of our body we'll come to that in a minute but the first is this to shine or boast or celebrate God's greatness and with each of these verses going to come up I'm not going to read the verses but you can just make a note of them if you want to, the word that's translated in the English often praise literally means to boast or celebrate God's love now, when you love someone and they do well, that is a natural response. One of my children has recently negotiated a new job. And I've watched them th- through every step. And I'm not telling you which one it is, so I hope it's okay boasting on them like this. But uh, they did. I was really, really impressed. I was impressed with their honesty. I was impressed with their courage, their forthrightness, loads of other things. So by the time they're done, I cannot help myself. But I am saying, you did brilliantly with this. When someone preaches, I I think of one particular sermon towards the end of last year, uh, uh, and I was at the Mermaid. And one of our preachers is just preaching, and my heart is just getting moved and moved and moved. By the end of the sermon, I can't help myself. I just have to look this person in the eye and say, that was brilliant. Thank you so much. Now, that is a normal human experience. We all do that at different times and with different things. And some people say, how can the Christian God... possibly be a God who wants us to worship him no they they do not understand they've not thought deeply about human character we naturally want to boast and celebrate on those that have done well who we love and he has done brilliantly he has given his life he's risen again he's broken death he's poured his blessings on us so we celebrate and we boast as a result And then the other six verbs, Hebrew verbs for worship, all affect our bodies. So just before I itemize them, and I will do that just briefly, I just want to remind you that whilst the Bible talks about four different parts of of who we are, our physical body, our minds, our intellects, our emotions, our feelings, and our spirit, and it says we've got these four different components, it doesn't break them up. You can't find your spirit. I can't come to Tim and say, let me have your emotions. You either get the whole of Tim or you don't get any of Tim. That's just, it's indivisible. And so when we use one, it affects all the others. I was reading an article this week from one of the daily newspapers which was saying there have been some recent studies done on dancing. Did you know that dancing not only makes you happy with the release of endorphins but also makes you smarter. They've done a whole load of tests where people danced for five to 15 minutes and then did some, some mind tests and the ones that had danced came out way better as well as it bonds people communally. So I read this and I've got a whole day to prepare this. And By three o'clock in the afternoon, I am struggling. So I'm like, okay, David, put it into practice. <laughs> so anyone passing Allen Road in Fulham would have seen this man, you know, playing his music and, uh, and dancing away in his living room and I decided I did not care what it looked like but it made me feel great uh, and I hope that we all benefit as a result today. So just remember You know, these are not, you know, just doing something with your body, in the end, it affects your heart. When you do something with your heart, it affects your body. You are indivisible, those different components. Anytime you do something to one, it affects all all four, which explains why the Bible appeals to us to use our bodies in worship. So, Hebrew verb number two is to lift our hands. Why would we do that? Why would we want to lift our hands? Well, the idea in the Hebrew word is first, it's a sign of surrender. Or a sign of trust. You don't surrender to somebody you don't trust, do you? It's too dangerous. But I raise my hands, I say, I'm yours and I know I'm in the best place possible to trust you in this sort of way. And the opposite, uh, and a component word in Hebrew is not to raise your hands, but it's to wring your hands. So I can either be anxious and wring my hands, or I can be trusting and raise my hands. It's also a sign of acceptance of the gifts that God has already given and the gifts God might give us as we worship. As Rich was singing uh, the last song about God's love, uh, I just in my mind's eye, it was as if there was rain in the room, just as a picture of God's God's love. The Bible often talks about water as the love of God. That was just how I could see it. What if if the love of God, you want to put out your hands and receive what well, He's got. So we. Raise our hands as a result. Thirdly, the Hebrew word to shout and applaud. Clap your hands, shout to God. Now the context here is not a football match or a concert at the O2, though one does shout and applaud in those contexts. But the context is of a conquering hero having come back from battle. Battle which has saved the nation. From their enemies who would have overridden them and taken them into captivity. But rather the hero returns. He's decimated the army. He returns to the city. So everyone shouts and applauds. On occasions when one of our national sporting teams has won a world cup or something. We put them on top of a bus. And they go through Trafalgar Square and everyone applauds. Well that's a pale image of how our people feel, it's a silly example, compared with the conquering king who comes back and everyone's, "Yes!" Well that, of course, is how we worship. He has broken your greatest enemy, death and the devil forever. You are free. And so we shout and applaud. And there are times where it's appropriate, and there's probably just about enough people, I would think adults in this room today, that sometimes at the end of songs, to applaud together. There's other times where you just want to shout, yes, he's loved me. He set me free. He's done it all. We lift our hands, we shout and applaud Next, Rich, you'll be interested in this one, to sing and play instruments with joyful expression. Good one. (laughs) So we praise God, we're so grateful for all our fabulous musicians we have here at Christchurch London. And here is an exhortation. There's other exhortations to play with skill, and they do that. Here's an exhortation to play with joyful expression, so that whatever else you're doing, you're showing from your heart, through your body, your love for God. Number five, to kneel in adoration or to fall even prostrate on the ground. Overcome by his greatness, we want our bodies to reflect it. Sixth Hebrew word means in silence, to stand in silence. There are just occasions in worship where the presence of God is so amongst us that no one wants to say anything. In fact, there's been occasions I've stood that and I'm thinking, please, nobody say anything right now. It's just, this is a holy moment. And it goes beyond words. You're experiencing, you're standing in silence before him. If you like, live silence. And seventh, with tears. With tears. This can be the natural overflow of our hearts. It can be a reaction to God's love. Or it can be a lament for the grief that we're going through. Life gives us things, we're grateful to God. Life sometimes takes things away. We go through periods of mourning and grieving. They're very important, important to handle them well. Tears are appropriate in both contexts, as actually tears are also appropriate in prayer, when we are moved for the plight of those that we are asking God to intervene on behalf of. So those are the ways I want to encourage us, as the Bible encourages us, to worship with our hands lifted, to shout and applaud, to sing and play with joyful expression, to kneel in adoration, to stand in silence, to express with tears. So let's just bring this into land. And I'm deliberately short this morning because I figure that we learn much more by putting this into practice immediately than by waiting seven days before we do. So how should we respond? I want to suggest number one, That when we worship, we decide not to be self-conscious. We decide not to be self-conscious. I remember the first time I ever raised my hands in worship. It was the most uh, painful experience. I was absolutely sure that everybody else in the room was looking only at me. Which, of course, was ridiculous. I was actually in a room with virtually nobody I knew. And everyone, of course, is always more preoccupied on themselves than on anybody else. Most other people had their eyes shut anyway. But nonetheless, I had to go through the pain barrier we all have to go through as we decide not to be self-conscious, but rather not to make an idol of me, but rather to make worship of him preeminent. Secondly, I want to encourage you to decide to focus in worship. To decide to focus. I understand what it's like when you get here at 10 o'clock. That can be a challenge. It's a bit like sitting down at your computer first thing in the morning. You put it up and you think, Google something, anything other than my inbox right now. Or it just—it takes a few minutes. So that's why there's an encouragement in the scriptures to prepare our hearts for worship. Can I encourage you? Be here before 10 o'clock so at 10 o'clock you're ready to worship. I, I don't get through weeks well without, my, without these times. I don't think you do either. Make them a priority. Aim to be here for quarter to ten. Then you're here, ready to go, at ten o'clock. Decide to focus, but once we're here, we say, now I'm here. This is a short time. I'm here for him. I'll give my mind and my words and so on and so forth to him. Thirdly, do not be anxious. If in your worship you become conscious of other things, it's not unusual that in our worship we become aware of our shame, our guilt, or our insecurity. The things from, if you like, the depths of the earth. And we give those to God. Oftentimes, as we're worshipping, God frees us from things. Other times we become aware of them and we realise we need prayer in another context or at the end of the service. All of that is fine. But don't push those things down. But bring them into the light. Sometimes I find it curious when people are anxious or upset and they're in worship and they go out. I sort of think the very best place you can be at that point in time is in, in that sense of God's presence decide to focus decide not to be anxious and fourthly my encouragement to you is spend time in worship at home spend time in worship at home if you're a singer or you have an instrument or you fancy yourself as a singer either's just fine then launch in for others of us would rather have one of the many great worship CDs I believe a church near you recently launched a worship album <laughs> Use that, use other worship albums, use all the thousands of songs on YouTube, whatever it does to work for you, to lift your heart and focus on worship. And I would say my own sense of ease, to whatever extent I'm at ease in worship, physic, with my physical expression, I would say that came through time by myself. Actually, in my late teens, my parents converted a garage which was just away from the house and said, would you like it as a bedroom? Well, it's like a 17-year-old. You're thinking, out, sort of freedom. You think, yes. Well, I think they were smart. I could turn my music right up. I could dance and I could pray and I could shout and I could sing. It did me good. Now, you may, may or may not want to bear in mind your neighbours, but my encouragement, nonetheless, is that you give yourself to worship personally. A personal worshipper, Uh, becomes also a public worshipper. Many years ago now, um, I worked with uh, an incredible context, seeing many people come to faith out of uh, crime and addiction, very, very broken backgrounds. And I remember one of them in particular who would always give themselves in worship. And I remember the person who founded uh, the churches that served these people. And they said, that person, they'll always be fine. They go through problems, troubles, we all go through troubles. That person will be fine because they're a worshipper. I want to suggest in 2018, that's a good thing to remember for each of us. If you are primarily, first and foremost, a worshipper, I want to suggest 2018, you'll be fine. Now, that is no prophecy about what's going to come for you in 2018. We simply don't know. The chances are you will have good and you will have bad. But if you're a worshipper who puts him first and it puts the whole of creation in the proper perspective, you're going to be just fine. You're going to be just fine. Now, mind, I want us to worship together. And it may be like the psalm that as we worship, after we've worshipped a while, we hear his voice. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. So we'll see what he does. But let's stand together, shall we? We've got plenty of time, and it may be for you that you want to just take the opportunity during this time of worship to express your worship to God in ways that you've not done before <coughs> or for some time. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let's come before him with thanksgiving. Extol him with music and song. For the Lord, he's the great God. For the great king above all gods. Heavenly Father, we come before you now. We thank you for your mercy, your goodness, for sending your son and leaving us with your spirit. Would you open our eyes and loose our tongues that we may fill this space with praise and worship to you. And may it, Lord, not only glorify you right now, but may it lead us. To lives laid down and lives poured out in the week ahead and the weeks ahead. And in 2018, we pray it all for the glory of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit christchurchlondon.org.